Let's go to Ephesians chapter number 1 this morning. Ephesians 1 verse 17. I'd like to read to you verse uh, 16 and 17. Ephesians 1, 16 and 17. Oh, that's not a good place to start. Verse 15. That's better. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's where we're going to spend our time here this morning. Heavenly Father, as we have this wonderful opportunity again to study from your word, thank you for your love for us. You have given us so much, even beyond what we're able to express in the the words, thank you. Or even if we respond and say that we love you, we know that doesn't even measure closely to the great love you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you for your word. That, too, is an expression of your love, that we may have a recorded copy of the things that mean so much to us, that that show us who you are and who we are because of you and what you would have us to do. Today, as your children, we sit at your feet and ask you to teach us, guide us through this passage and excite us with it, encourage us with it, and draw us close to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday we had a uh, challenge. All of us had a challenge to intensify our prayer life. As we saw in verse number 16, Paul set an example for us to follow in prayer. With much thankfulness and with, with, uh, with much remembrance, we are to, in the very literal rendering of these words, not stop ourselves in giving thanks. As Paul said it, I will not stop myself in giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. This is a continuous thing. His way of praying on behalf of the Ephesians. He continually gives thanks. He continually mentions them. And he will not stop himself. And that's a challenge we had last week as far as our prayer is concerned. What stops us from praying? What stops us from praying? The need for prayer is vital. We know that. We we have our prayer chain. We have our uh, prayer meetings. We have those uh, prayer calls that come through on occasion. When there's a, a serious need, we're quick to call the prayer group. To pray. Why do we do that? Because we know it's vital, don't we? We know that it's the Lord who is going to provide for the need. We know that He has given so much to us and everything's under His control. Even when it looks hopeless, helpless, when it looks uh, disastrous, we know who we can go to, right? We pray. We talk to the God who, who knows. 
Well, the challenge is real. Prayer is vital, but the challenge is real. The, the challenge that we be those kind of people who pray, intensely pray. And I think that's a universal need we all have, to be those who intensely pray. Now, today we're going to spend time here in verse number 17, a look at the purpose for this kind of prayer. If, uh, if your children are or were, depending on where they are at this time in life, but if they were like mine at that younger age, uh, typically after you would tell them to do something, there was a response, a question. Usually wasn't when or how. And I'm guessing it certainly wasn't. And when I do that, what else can I do for you? But you know the question that usually follows a statement of telling your child something to do. Why? Today I will let you be children. This passage is showing us to pray, and we want to ask the question, why? Why? It's answered here in verse number 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now this is the content of his prayer on behalf of the Ephesians. And I like the fact that the Word of God has recorded this prayer for us to see. It says a lot about Paul as a man of prayer. How he is deliberate in his prayers. He is precise in his prayers. When he prayed for others, in this case the, the Ephesians, he is very particular about what he says, what he brings up before the Lord. But it also says something of the ones prayed for. What, what would it come to our mind if we think that Paul is always thankful for them? We, we would reflect on the Ephesians and think of all these great things and causes that reflect on them. That made Paul so thankful. When he says, I, I remember you always in my prayers, you, you know the kind of folks that you remember always, and the characteristic of those folks, and why they're so dear to you. And so it says a lot about the Ephesians, when Paul puts them in that category of praying for them often, and thinking of them always. They're very special people. But even more than that, this is what I think this congregation was like, because I think, I'm like that, and I think you're probably like this too. If somebody says, I'm praying for you in this particular way, don't you want to somehow see that request fulfilled? You want to be part of that, don't you? You want to be an answer to their prayer. And I could picture the Ephesians, as Paul says these words, say, that's exactly what we want to be, Paul. Just what you're praying. We, we want to live up to that. Because you consider it so important to mention this before God so often, we want it to be important for us too. We want to be an answer to this prayer. And so when we look at this prayer, in verse number 17, there are two people 
involved in this request. More accurately, one person and one group. The one person is the God of glory. And the group is the Ephesian church in its context. But he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now let's break that down into those two groups. That first one being God himself, the God of glory. <coughs> the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, some of you have encountered and, and met and uh, even talked with famous people. I'll tell you my whole list. It won't take long. You can count them on less fingers than you have on one hand. When I was young, maybe uh, seven, eight years old, I think, in our town in Indiana, we had a little special dinner for Ernie Banks. I don't know why. He was just in town. He was a shortstop for the Chicago Cubs back in the late 60s, early 70s. I'm not sure when he finished. Uh, but he hit an awful lot of home runs, quite popular. The, the, he's Mr. Cub himself. He was at that dinner. He was serving green beans onto his plate right next to me. I remember as I was, I thought, boy, I should like green beans. Just because he liked green beans. But, but he gave me an autograph. He signed an autograph. And, and I had mentioned that my sister Sue had also thought highly of him. So he signed an autograph for her too. And his, I remember saying, reading it, it said, uh, to Sue, peace. Ernie Banks. That's all it was. I gave it to her. and I lost mine. I don't know where it is to this day. I don't know if she still has her. Then, many, many years later, Philip and I went to stand in a long line to get an autograph from Richard Petty when he was uh, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, it took a long time to get there, but there he stood, NASCAR king with his cowboy hat and the whole thing, signing an autograph, and you've got to see his signature. There are more loops in that than you've seen it anywhere. Just an incredible signature. And I remember that signature, and I gave that to Philip. I don't know where it is today. I think he still has it. Once I, I got an autographed baseball from Jim Spencer. You may not even know the name. He played first base for Chicago White Sox for a year or so. He played for the Yankees as well. Um, to show you how much I treasured that, the day we ran out of baseballs out in the backyard, we used it. He must have had a bad year or something, but, but we used his baseball. And then just a little more than a year ago, I was down in Fort Worth, Texas at a a conference where Dr. Charles Ryrie was speaking, teaching from the book of Revelation. And after the class, I bought his little commentary on Revelation and went up and talked with him for less than a minute, I think. Uh, but I got his autograph inside of the front cover of the little commentary, too. So there's my whole claim to fame. As far as famous people are concerned, these are the ones I have met, and most of them put all together. It would have taken less than two minutes to talk to him. Some of you have talked with governors and senators, and some maybe even as high as, as dignitaries like presidents and whatnot. This passage says we talk to God. Think of the difference now. 
Paul's talking to God. We talk to God when we pray. In December, we went through a whole series that showed us the deity of Jesus Christ. This passage is saying, God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul identifies Jesus as our Lord. He's our master. His name is Jesus. That means Jehovah saves. His name is Christ because he is the Messiah. And all of those in various ways speak of his deity, that he is God. But look at the, the uniqueness of this phrase. The God of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will. How do you put that together? That, that's kind of interesting to me, that God the Father is identified as God, but also identified as his God. Now, that doesn't diminish the deity at all of Jesus Christ. It's kind of a mysterious thing to try to understand the Trinity. It's a, it's a hard concept to put into words and thoughts anyway. But Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh. We know that, right? He took on flesh. He, he became as a human being to dwell among us. He spoke to his Father as his God. Remember when he spoke to Mary right after the resurrection? She met him and she, she grabbed a hold of him there in the garden. And he said to her, Stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Interesting, isn't it? What did he say on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a very interesting thing as we we stand here and, and try to figure some of this out, but at least let's put it this way. As a brother with Christ Jesus, we have the same Father. As he is called the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is our God too. We have a unique relationship with him. A special one. And here in the Ephesians letter, Paul's writing to to them saying, I'm talking to the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. I'm talking to Him. Now, you can't get greater than that concept. Try it all you want. Use whatever superlative you want to throw in there. When we say He is the greatest, He's even greater than that. When we say he is wonderful, as the old song used to say, he's more than wonderful. As we would say he's glorious, he's even more than that. He's the father of glory. The greatest you can imagine. All that there is. And all that can render praise to him. And everything that has breath. Every one of us are recipients of his great glorious ways. We are all recipients of that glory. We've been showered with His grace, haven't we been? Showered with His mercy, showered with His goodness, showered with His kindness, blessed in every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 Now, as Paul has done these things in recording What God has done for us. Remember, we studied this passage from 3 all the way through 14. He goes through all the blessings that 
that stand out that show us especially his his great glory. And each time he stops and he breaks into praise. Verse number 6 in the middle of it. To the praise of the glory of his grace. And then he made it all the way up to verse number 11. And then 12 he, he would say, To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And then he only made it another verse or so before he broke out again in verse 14 and said at the end, to the praise of his glory. When, <coughs> when we enter into prayer, do we realize who we're talking to? This is the God of glory. This is the God of glory. He is the one who has done everything for us. And we go into his presence. And we talk to him. We talk to him. He's not some genie that we command to go here or there, do this, do that. He's not some sort of cosmic butler called on to clean up our mess. He's the God of glory. He's the God of glory. And all that he does is for his glory. All that he wills is for his glory. And what's great is, he aims it at us. For he works this way in our life to bring him glory. And do you think we are shortchanged in that? Oh, not at all. Wow, are we blessed. Because we know the God of glory. This is the one that Paul says, this is who we talk to. He, needs, he knows our needs. He hears our needs. Like David once said back in Psalm 34, he says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and the Lord saved him out of all his troubles. Do you know that God? That God of glory, who's heard you, who's seen you, who has blessed you, who has saved you, who has brought you into a relationship with himself. This is the God that Paul's talking about. The God of glory. That's one person, alright? Now, keep hold of that thought, because we want to look at the second group that's also referenced in this uh, prayer, verse 17, and that is, after it says, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, he may give to you. Now he brings this you into the passage, and I teach hermeneutics, and that is a direct application, the Ephesians. He's talking about the Ephesians. But the Ephesians, well, this was written in their day and age and their time. But we, over the years, use what we call indirect application. We can apply this to ourselves because we're brothers and sisters in Christ too. And this passage was written concerning a very standard, if you will, uh, concept of prayer on behalf of believers. Today we take this passage personally since it's talking about a believer in Christ. And what does he want for you? In this passage, he may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, with that verse read, go to the last three or four words. The knowledge of him. The knowledge of him. That's the essence of it. This is the request, the knowledge of him. 
in our fellowship group here at the church on Wednesday night. We've been going through a little book called Jesus' Blueprint for Prayer. Very nice little uh, write-up I had in Robinson. And it's a study of the uh, Lord's Prayer. And as we worked our way through this last week, we got to the uh, concluding chapter. And it says, why do we pray? And there's a uh, quotation here from George MacDonald. And I'm going to read it to you because this gets right to the point. What if God knows prayer to be the thing we need first and most? What if the main object in God's idea of prayer is the supplying of our great need, the endless need, the need of himself? Hunger may drive the runaway child home, and he may or may not be fed at once, but he needs his parents more than his dinner. Communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other need. Prayer is the beginning of that communion, of talking with God, of coming to one with Him, which is the sole end of prayer, yea, of existence itself. We must ask that we may receive, but that we should receive what we ask in respect to our lower needs is not God's end in making us pray. He could give us everything without that. To bring his child to his knee, God withholds that men may ask. God wants us for himself. His desire, he desires communion with us. His purpose in prayer is not to make us sit up and beg. He wants us to know him. Prayer is his method to accomplish that. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. He's designed it that we could know him. All these blessings in Ephesians 1. Let's look at them just for a minute. All these blessings. Verse number 4. He chose us. Why? For what purpose? Why would He choose us? Why would He say, hey, I pick you? So that we may know Him. It says in verse number 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons. Why? Why did he he choose to put us in as sons? As children? Some people, with their, their Facebook page, they just want the greatest number of friends they could possibly get. They want their number bigger than anyone else's. They don't care who it is. Poop, poop, poop. They have 2,000 friends. They don't even know half of them, no doubt. Is that God's method of choosing people? I just have to have more friends than anybody else. Or is it because He wants you to know Him? He's made you His son. Made you His child. It says here, He has freely bestowed on us His grace. Why? Because He just wants you to have a good day. Or is it because he wants you to know him? He has redeemed us through the blood of Christ. Why? Because if we weren't redeemed, we couldn't have a relationship with him, could we? We couldn't. But he has redeemed us. He's forgiven us those sins that have marred our our opportunity, that prevented us because of our own depravity. We couldn't even come to him. 
he took care of that. Why? So that we could come to him and know him. You see, there's a purpose behind God's plan. All this work that he has done, the blessings, over and over. You can put next to each one. So that we may know him. So that we may know him. So that we may know him. Do you really want to know him? Is that your heart's desire to know him? Like he wants you to know him? I'll tell you a story about this, and this is absolutely true. Many years ago, I was preaching through Philippians chapter 3. I've done it here at this church as well. I'm thankful that the response here at this church was much better than the first time I did it. First time I did it, I had a group exceedingly angry at me for preaching through that passage. They thought for sure I I was a heretic. Why? Because as I read through the passage, Paul saying, that I may know him, that I may know him, that I may know him, that I may know him. He kept wanting to know him more and more and more. And then he got to this one passage. And this this one always gets me. Philippians 3 verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And in that picture, I see it clearly, that here I am, an absolute sinful creature on this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ, in His grace and mercy, grabbed on to me. How else could he have saved me? He grabs us, if you will, in salvation. There's, there's a picture in there of snatching you away from the pit. There's a picture there of, of sudden change. There's a picture there that you're not just kind of gradually pacing your way to the cross, but that it's a, it's a pull. It, it goes through that way throughout Scripture. The call of God, the, the draw of God, the the effectual call of God. All of that's working together. It's a sudden, incredible thing that he's done because one moment I'm his enemy, the next minute I'm his child. How do you explain that? I go from darkness to light. I go from prison to set free. That's sudden. That's kind of the picture of he laid hold of me. And you know what that verse says? Paul Paul says this. I want to lay hold of the reason for which he laid hold of me. I want to know what it is, why he did that. So I can live that. I want that to be my passion. Because (coughs) he didn't do that on a whim. He didn't do that accidentally. He did that on purpose. I want to know that purpose so I can live that purpose. I can feel that. I I can breathe that purpose. I want to be that. Why did he choose me? Why did he grab hold of me? I want to grab onto it. That group was very upset with that. You know why? And here's my hunch. They really didn't know him. They didn't have a walk with him. They didn't have fellowship with him. To them, this was entirely uncomfortable to say, I want to know him! Because that's not where their heart was. Matter of fact, they resisted it. They, they got angry about it. And I don't know where you are right this morning. But when I say, as Paul says, this is my prayer that you know him. And that's the prayer of your pastor for you, that you know him. 
Does that excite you or does that anger you? Does it make you want more? Or does it make you want to step back and say, no, no. This is Paul's request. This is Paul's heart's desire. He wanted to know him, and he wanted those around him to know him. And Jesus said it this way, in his own prayer, before he went to the cross in John 17. This is what he said. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That was the Savior's prayer for you too. That you may know God. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he gave his life for you. That's why you've been saved. That you may know him. That you may know him, the Father of glory. (coughs) What we need is a spirit of wisdom. That's part of the request, isn't it? That he may give you a spirit of wisdom. Now, mark this concept of this, a spirit of wisdom. That's not our wisdom. (laughs) No. Our wisdom won't do us any good. It's the wisdom given to us. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, where does he go? Let him ask of God. Wisdom is not our invention. Kind of glad that's true. It's not our specialty. That's certainly true. To understand the God of glory demands the provision of a special wisdom. Only the wisdom that He can give to us. Have you ever asked God to give you the wisdom to know Him? Think of that request. Lord, give me the wisdom to know you. A spirit of revelation is needed. That's not something mystical here. Not at all. Revelation is a term for um, disclosure. It's a, it's a term that, that, as one of the scholars said named Thayer, Thayer says, it's instruction in that which is not known. Instruction in that which is not known. It's like wisdom. It comes from outside of us. Silence. It, it, when, when it comes to, to, to revelation, understanding, discernment, it's only silence on the inside of us until our gracious God says something. He discloses it to us. I can't imagine what it would be like to live in a world without any record of God. Could you? That He hadn't disclosed Himself to us? Could you imagine? I think very vividly of that seen back in the, the book of Kings where Elijah and the prophets of Baal have that contest. The prophets of Baal set up their, their rocks, their altar, and they, they slew the, the oxen and they put it on there and they doused it with water as part of the deal. And then they started their chanting and their prayers and their ravings trying to get the attention of a god named Baal who did not exist and could not communicate with them and they had no idea if they were pleasing him or making him angry or satisfied or anything. They had no record of who he was or what he does because he didn't even exist. 
So Elijah took advantage of that and encouraged them with some ideas. He said, why don't you try this? And why don't you try this? And why don't you... By the end of the day, they were pretty worn out. And they were all cut up. And then they were dead. But that's another story. Anyway, we have a God who says, here I am. This is who I am. This is how I love you. This is what I've done for you. Aren't you glad? If it wasn't for that, what would we know? We have a God of disclosure. One who, who believes that we need to understand Him and know Him. He knows that we don't have the minds capable of comprehension, but He's gracious enough to teach us. He teaches us. He gives us the spirit of wisdom. He gives us this revelation of Himself and the knowledge of Himself so that we can gain knowledge of Him. And the prayer actually here, Paul is saying, he says, I want you to have full knowledge of Him. Wow, that's a big request. You know how long that's going to take? That's more than a doctorate degree. That's more than what we could accomplish here on this earth, by the way. Eventually, we're going to have full knowledge of Him, but we're going to be standing there looking face to face. That's His prayer request. I want you to have full knowledge of Him. Are we there yet? No. I know we're not. But where are we? If we put it on a scale of things, if we say, here's basic knowledge and here's full knowledge, where might we rank somewhere in between? I hope. I hope that we're moving upward in our knowledge of Him. We're growing it. All of this is a need for prayer, you see? We need it because... The only way it's possible for us to gain knowledge of Him, to have <coughs> the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, is if God gives it. Isn't that what He just said in the prayer? That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Just like He gives everything to us. That's what that list of blessings were. In verse number 3 to 14. He gave, he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave. And it brings us to this now. That Paul says, I ask him to give you full knowledge of himself. There's a passage in the book of Psalms. If you turn over to 143. This one is, is meaningful to me. I, I look at it often. I keep some of it uh, on a sheet of paper next to my my bed on the, the stand next to me, so I see it every time I go past there. I, I look at it and think of it. But in Psalm 145, or 43, 143, verse 5 through verse number 8. Now, I read to you from the old revised version because the way they use a particular word is very accurate to the Hebrew, and I wanted to point that out. It says in 143, verse 5, I remember the days of old, I meditate on all thy doings. I muse on the work of thy hands. When's the last time you stopped and thought about the things that God has done? I spread forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a weary land. When's the last time you thirsted that much for God? Make haste to answer me, O Lord, my spirit.
spirit faileth, hide not thy face from me, lest I become like those that go down into the pit. Is it a desperate thing? Is it a, an intense thing for you that God should answer your needs, that he should come and answer the thing that you ask for? And this is the verse, verse number 8. This is the literal Hebrew rendering of this. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. Cause me. Make me to hear it. I like that. <laughs> More times than not, I need somebody to say, do it. How about you? Somebody to stand over you and make you do something. Because your heart's not prone to go that way. And you need that little help. This has caused me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto thee. This little prayer here obviously is centered around God, isn't it? I need you. Tell me about you. Show me about everything I need to know about you. Meet the needs because I trust you. Cause me to know of your mercy. Cause me to know your way. That's a cry from a heart that wants to know him. This is the way that we can be an answer to a prayer. The prayer is that the God, the Father of glory, might give the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and I want to be one who seeks that knowledge of him. I want that desire, don't you? I want to be a seeker of his. I don't want to be content with where I am. I, I, there's so much more to learn of him. Is that where you are today? You want to learn more? Know him more? You'll never exhaust the topic. You never wear them out with your searching. I encourage you to take this to heart today. It's a prayer concern. Do you want to see it fulfilled? Let's talk to the Lord about it. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is that you have done all this for us. But what a blessing it is that we can know you that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of our God and Father, the Father of glory. You have made this possible. You have brought it all to us here this morning and said, here, come to me and learn of me. And I pray that's our heart's desire. I pray that we're drawn to you today. And that's where we start this week. With a thirst that must be satisfied. A hunger that has to be fulfilled. A desire to know our God. Make us those kind of people, we pray. Those who are an answer to this prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.